Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about risk profile or risk tolerance. You see, I think most people have the same tolerance for risk, which is to say I think most people don't want to tolerate much investment risk. Uh, in fact, if people can achieve a return of, say, 7 to 10% per annum, take as little risk as possible, and that return helps them achieve their financial goals, I reckon most people are comfortable with that. So put it differently, I think most people would like to take as little risk as possible so long as they earn a sufficient return to achieve their financial and lifestyle goals. Okay, so let's talk about risk first off. What is risk? Well, risk is really just the probability of not achieving your targeted investment return. And if you don't achieve your targeted investment return, uh, you don't actually obviously achieve your financial and lifestyle goals. I think there's two ways in which you might not achieve your um, target return. The first one is that you actually end up with a dud investment. So that is that, I mean, let's call it an investment mistake, but you invest in something hoping for maybe 10% returns um, and maybe it makes a loss or it doesn't give you any returns. So that's the investment mistake. The second example would be not achieving your returns, but only temporarily uh, due to intermittent volatility. So for example, if you had invested in the Australian share market back in May 2021, your return just over a little a little over a year later would be zero. You know, the market is kind of trading today at, at that level. You know, over that time, the market's risen, it's fallen, and now it's subsequently recovered back to May 2021 levels. So ignoring dividend income, you've actually not received, achieved any return or generated any return. But that volatility is almost certain certainly temporary and we know as long as you've adopted the right investment strategy so the right investment over multi-year periods uh, so that is decades or longer the market has always trended higher now most people are really only concerned by the first risk so that is making a dud investment making a mistake Uh, most people understand that volatility is normal and they're happy to endure it as long as they're rewarded adequately over the long run That said, of course, there are some people, albeit a a very small minority, that have no tolerance for intermittent volatility either. Okay, so how do you measure your personal risk tolerance or risk profile? So the traditional way to measure that is uh, by asking a series of hypothetical questions to sort of measure your comfort or discomfort with experience volatility or investment losses. I've included a link to a questionnaire in the show notes and the blog on the website, Uh, for the questionnaire that we use in our business uh, and it's been um, empirically studied and uh, being put together by academics and I think it's probably the best example of a risk profile questionnaire that I've come across. That said, I'm a little sceptical about these questionnaires uh, in that will they really provide us with reliable information? So it's one thing to kind of predict how you might feel if your investments drop 30% in one day but until you actually experience it, you don't really know how you're going to feel. And we know that humans have a strong cognitive bias towards loss aversion. So that is the pain of losing is psychologically twice as powerful as the pain of gaining. So whilst people in a questionnaire might respond that they, in a way that suggests that they have a high risk tolerance, 
I would argue that, that when it comes down to it, most people really don't have the stomach for huge risk. And therefore, I think we all have a very similar risk profile, including myself. And let me describe it. Uh, the risk profile describes something like this. I work hard for my money. I don't want to take high risks and risk losing it. I'd be happy to generate a long-term investment return of, say, 7 to 10%. As long as I know if I do that, it'll help me build substantial wealth over many decades and help me achieve my financial and lifestyle goals. But I want to take as little risk as possible in order to achieve those outcomes. So that's how I would describe my own personal risk profile and that of the, the almost, in fact, almost all of my clients. And Warren Buffett famously has two rules of investing. The first one is don't lose money. The second rule is refer to rule number one. And in essence, he's counseling investors not to take huge risks. Don't gamble with your money. Only invest if you're convinced there's plenty of upside and very little downside. And I think that's very wise counsel. Now, of course, there's always outliers. You know, maybe less than 5% of people will have a, a very large risk tolerance, very large risk for uh, tolerance for taking high risks. And, and conversely, there'll be a cohort of investors out there that, you know, really don't want to take any risk at all. Um, but I, I think they're, they're a small minority of investors and arguably less than 5%. Uh, also, you know, that your stage of life might inform your risk tolerance as well. You know, we know that, you know, m most people have to accept taking some risk in order to generate uh, enough returns to achieve their goals. Uh, and if they're too risk adverse and don't take any risk, then actually that's even more risky uh, in and of itself because, you know, if you don't achieve a high enough return, you actually won't achieve your goals. However, once you've got sufficient investment assets, uh, that it's a no-brainer that you're going to achieve your goals, then arguably at that time, for a lot of people, capital preservation becomes more important than capital returns. So it's really about retaining your money or retaining as much of that capital as possible rather than kind of swinging for the fences and, and still trying to achieve a 10 or maybe more percent return. And for those people, then it's really important that they adopt an asset allocation that is commensurate with that risk profile. And I think, you know, the deeper that people get into retirement, uh, the, the more likely that capital preservation becomes more, than, uh, more important than returns. Now, when we have a look back over multi-decade periods, you know, three or four decades, most investment markets have generated north of 10% returns. Uh, so that includes Australian residential property and also uh, share markets, whereas the Australian share market, the US or international they've all generated around about 10% in terms of return. Now, if you generate a 10% return, your investments will double in value every 7.3 years. So that's more than enough for most people in order to achieve their goals, particularly if they start, you know, a decade or more out. So really, you don't need to swing for the fences. You don't need to aim for a, a double-digit or multi-digit uh, return. Uh, somewhere between 7, 8, 10%, somewhere in that sort of vicinity, is more than enough for most people. And then it get, comes down to, once you've got that, it comes down to about minimising risk. So then how do you build an investment strategy that's going to generate 7 to 10% long-term returns, compounding, uh, whilst at the same time taking as less risk as possible? Well, I, I thought I'd share some tips with you. I've got five tips to share, but it's going to be different for everyone, but it's just sort of general observations, if you like. 
So the first one is only adopt rules-based and evidence-based investment methodologies. So I think you reduce your investment risk substantially by adopting proven methodologies, of course not throwing darts at a dartboard. A rules-based approach means that if you follow a set of certain set of rules, you should then enjoy predictable returns over the long run, as opposed to, again, throwing a dart at a dartboard and hoping for the best. And then also, if there's overwhelming evidence that demonstrates that this rules-based approach has worked over many, many decades through many different markets and conditions and situations, then again, you've reduced your risk substantially. The second tip would be really about minimising investment fees. Uh, Now, it's really not about um, trying to find the absolute lowest cost. It's really about getting the best value for money. So, for example, if you know, an investment manager, an active fund manager is going to charge me 1% per annum versus, say, an index fund provider that might charge me 0.05 of a percent, so a substantially, you know, 120th of the fee. Uh, And then if I look at all the data and the data says, oh, actually, index funds tend to outperform active managers, then why would I pay the 1%? I may as well cut my fees by 120th and go indexing which is not to say fees are the be-all and end-all. Sometimes there is evidence that demonstrates you've got to pay the 1%. You know, in some uh, sub-asset classes, for example, like emerging markets, typically active funds management outperforms indexing. So it's not about being um, really focused on cost and reducing everything to zero. It's really about getting good value for money. My third tip is to spread your eggs across many baskets, which is really invest in uh, various asset classes. You know, I believe most people would be well served by doing that, including investing in a bit of direct property, share market, bonds, superannuation. Every asset class has its pros and cons. And so at a portfolio level, what we hope to do is got to balance out those pros and cons uh, so you get the best of uh, all worlds, if you like. Uh, and there's a uh, updated chart that I've put together that's a link in the show notes, of course, Uh, that shows asset class returns on a year-by-year basis uh, sorted from high to low. And it shows there are no predictable trends. No one in the world has developed a system for predicting accurately which asset class will perform the best over the next 12 months to two years. No one knows, so therefore if you spread your eggs across many baskets, chances are you smooth out returns and you enjoy uh, a more comfortable ride to retirement. My fourth tip is to invest in markets and asset classes that exhibit the best probabilities of providing the highest returns over the medium term. So put differently, let long horizon mean reversion do all the heavy lifting. You know, finding asset classes or sub-asset classes that exi- you know that, that are, are well-priced, that look cheap if you like, and, and then taking a rules-based, evidence-based approach to investing in those uh, asset classes, uh, I think is a good way to minimise risk because you're not buying in when prices are really high. You're trying to find value, uh, which again reduces your risk. So there's more upside, less downside. Uh, and if you, again, if you're using those evidence-based, rules-based approaches, uh, then you're really reducing your risk. And finally, my fifth tip is pay pro- for professional advice. Now, of course, I've got a vested interest in saying that as a financial advisor. Uh, So I acknowledge that up front. However, it's really clear, it should be really clear to most people listening to this podcast, that investment mistakes can cost a lot more than the cost of advice. 
uh, and you're always going to benefit from other people's experiences. And if you do that, you minimise your investment risk. The thing is that you can always make money back again, but the thing that you can't ever recover is lost time. And that's really one of the most important ingredients to a strategy is having the time to let the investments do their thing. So to wrap up or summarise, it's my thesis that most investors can generate excellent investment returns whilst at the same time adopting a low-risk approach. That's not to say, of course, that you won't experience intermittent volatility. Of course you will. Every investor does. It's normal. But to achieve acceptable returns over the long run, you really don't need to take a lot of risk, which is an approach I think resonates with lots of investors. Okay, so thank you very much for listening in to the podcast. If you enjoy it each week, uh, would really appreciate you leaving a rating uh, as it helps sort of the ranking of the podcast uh, and more people get to um, find it and enjoy it. So if you're able to do that, I'd greatly appreciate it. And until next week, bye for now.